If you're new with us, we've been in a series on priorities. And one of the things we learned in the first week of this, prioritizing like Jesus, is that priorities will always require some short-term pain, but will yield long-term gain. And I'm not just talking about this being true in church. This is true in life. If you set priorities, if you have the need to set priorities, that's going to take some time out of your day. It's going to take some effort to get those in place. So whether you're talking about school or work or physically getting into shape or getting your finances in order, uh, it's going to require some short-term pain, but it's going to yield some long-term benefits for you. One of the other things about priorities that we learned was that, uh, that often immediate gratification robs us of greater gratification later on. So we live in kind of an immediate gratification culture, and, and that's, that's often where people live is, is right in front of them. And priorities actually helps you kind of lift above that and see, you know, this is worth putting off the immediate gratification here because I want something better down the road, and I'm going to live my life for that. We also know priorities are easy to get away from. You need to re-straighten out your priorities. You need to live by your priorities. One of the things we discussed was the fact that if you keep focused on the very big mission, some of the biggies in life, then the myriad of smaller questions and choices and decisions that many of us are swamped with day after day after day become a lot easier. So we talked about the Transcontinental Railroad, and they knew they had to eventually line up their track with the track coming the other way. That was the big mission. When that happened, it was really clear, mission accomplished. So that meant that going above the mountain, blasting through the mountain, going left around the mountain, turning right through the mountain, or what's for dinner, all became easier because they were supporting this this really big priority, this really big goal. And so it is in life. If we can get some of those biggies down, it makes things easier. I think many people tend to always be hunting in God's word for their latest immediate need. Let me give you a couple of examples temptation, dealing with jealousy, breaking free from rage, boredom, how to raise toddlers to love Jesus, how to have an endlessly blissful marriage, right? So what we can do is we can we can go after God's word for these topics. None of that's bad. I would recommend you seek God's word. God's word speaks to the to the whole of life. God's word speaks to those things. But what happens if we're always going after those small topics? What happens is We never pull back and see the forest for the trees. All we're doing is we're seeing kind of these individual things and not seeing how God's put it together. Sometimes when reading right through a book of the Bible, and and many have have taken up kind of our challenges of saying, hey, let's read through the Bible in a year. Some of you are on that track this year for the very first time to get through the Bible in a year. Some of you started that four years ago, and you're going to finish this year. Praise God. Right? You got through the Bible in four years. That means you're, you're pursuing it. You're, you're diligently seeking. One of the things that you come across in the scripture when you're not just hunting for one topic or another is you get some really, really big themes that emerge. And we're going to talk about one of those this morning. Here's one verse that, that you would stumble across is Matthew 6.33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's Jesus giving us a priority. Go after the kingdom and his righteousness. All these things he was talking about, by the way, are all these petty things that we that we worry about, talk about, plan for, fret about. Sort of the day-to-day stuff of life. He says, man, that, that stuff's going to have a way of taking care of... You get the big things figured out. Prioritizing like Jesus 
is choosing best over all else. And this morning, uh, we're talking about prioritizing like Jesus in our lifestyle, how we live. Talking about moral choices and about worldview and about pursuits. And are those in line with the priorities of God? And the way that I want to kind of frame our discussion this morning is with the word holiness. Ephesians 4.24, if you're there, follow along. It says this. We're instructed to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, each week at the top of your handout, you'll see our text for the morning. And in some ways, that one verse is accurate, but you're going to get a lot of scripture this morning. So it's actually going to be a lot more about that, but that's going to be kind of our, our springboard. I don't know if you remember the Puritans, but the Puritan, that name was a derogatory name given to the Puritans by their opponents. You know why? They were so deeply concerned with being pure. They took so seriously scriptures that said that we're to be holy. Many of the verses that we will look at today were on the forefront of their mind and therefore on the forefront of their tongue as they talked about it. Today, uh, well, kind of moving on, you had Jesus Freaks. Uh, fundamentalists, sometimes people put Bible thumping, you know, in front of these terms, you know, to kind of give a picture of what that person's like. It's, it's a person who's really obsessed with words like holiness and words, words like worldliness. We had a hockey team one time made up of mostly Christians, and we kind of put a little spin on this. We were called the Holy Rollers. Um, and there's nothing more fun than going in and checking someone in the name of Jesus, you know, just... <laughs> Just pounding them into the wall and being, Jesus loves you, you know. Um, but we kind of poked fun at that, you know. But, but a holy roller usually isn't meant as a compliment. That, that's meant as someone who's kind of out of touch with maybe culture and, and, they're, and they're really, you know, living in yesteryear or something. As you read the scriptures, what you come to realize is this that holiness is huge in the Bible. Here's my question Is holiness huge in your priorities? The word holiness invades and informs lifestyle, worldview, moral choices. Things that we think about and actually live out every single day of our lives. It's so huge that as you read through the Old Testament, you actually begin to to get some some pictures painted. And and the word holy just just really elevates in terms of of importance by the sheer mention of it, by by just how much it's talked about. Think about the Old Testament and some of the things that God was was prepping us for, disciples today, as we look back on the Old Testament. Here were some things that were talked about as being holy. People were holy. The word simply means set aside for a divine purpose. They were different. They were set aside for a reason. Well, you had people who were holy. Aaron and his sons were priests. They were they were they performed special roles. Time was holy. Think about the weekly Sabbath, right? To set that aside as holy. Think about yearly festivals that came along. These were to be set aside as holy, as distinct, not as just a common week, but a festival unto the Lord. Words were holy. The Torah was given. The Ten Commandments were given. So we have people and time and words, and then some really tangible things like. Things that were holy. Specific utensils that because they were devoted to temple service, they were holy. They were not common. They were set apart for the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant. 
was was a tangible item that was set apart as holy as it as it held the presence of God. And then you have things like location, like Jerusalem and the Holy of Holies as things that are holy. All of this Old Testament holiness ought to be triggering things in our minds. Holiness seems really important to God. He's made a really specific point of saying some things. He's disciplined people who've disregarded these holy items and places and times and people. All this holiness from the Old Testament should serve as a pointer to us. It should serve to kind of trigger in our minds, holiness is huge. Now in Jesus, a new age was ushered in, and much of the picture began to be filled in. We became, God's children became, the very dwelling place of God. You know part of why I think the Old Testament's there for us? We get to see how important the dwelling place of God was. We get to see how much power there was in the dwelling place of God. And then to understand that we are living temples of God? Do you see where I'm going with this? How ought the living temple of the holy God conduct themselves in their character? The expectation for our character flows out of the character of the God who indwells us. Look at these two verses. Leviticus 19.2 says this, Speak to the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. In 1 Peter 1 it says, But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Who was Peter writing to? Professional Christians? Varsity Christians? Uh, the 25-year club Christians? If you read that verse in context, here's what you see he's writing to. He's writing to obedient children. Christian, that's you. Holiness is for everyone. Holiness is for every Christian. Holiness is not an option. What's beautiful about doing life together and living together in community is this. You just begin to see traits of families. One of the fun things about being uh, just in a church community is you get to know people over the years. And I've been to the hospital. Ben has as well. It's one of the fun parts of our midweek is getting to go to the hospital and visit people when they first had their kids. And I've been to many of the kids' births here. And what's fun to watch kids grow up is that you begin to see traits of that child from the parents. I've known Matt and Kent here for a long time. I was neighbors with them uh, way back in the 90s somewhere and neither of us had kids, and I've, I've watched their kids grow up. It's really fun to see these two guys reflect their parents. I see little idiosyncrasies. I see little characteristics of them from the parents. Now, that's both a great thing, and it's a really, really scary thing, isn't it? As your kids get older, you say, wow, I see that trait in me, and here it is in my offspring. But here's the point. As dearly loved children... Timmy and Tyler look like their parents. They have traits like their parents. They begin to mimic their parents. As dearly loved children of a holy God, we take on those traits. God is forming those things in us, and we begin to reflect the Father's character. There's kind of a rising trend amongst Christians and especially young people, and it's been happening over the last couple of decades, and it's really thrilling. 
It's the desire to put our money where our mouth is and our time and our bodies where our mouth is in regard to social justice, in regard to needs of people who are on the fringes, in regards to rescuing and helping and going out of our ways to sacrificially help those who can't help themselves. I think there's been a great awakening in this, and I think it's absolutely incredible and needed. My fear is this, that as we swing super far over to this, what you'll hear uh, a lot of young people know James 1.27 that didn't know it a long time ago. That pure and undefiled religion is this. To what? To help orphans and widows in their distress. And they will quote that all the time. Do you know how the verse concludes, anyone? And, there's a second part to it. To keep oneself unstained from the world. So this big swing toward social action. My son came home from a week in the Tenderloin District of San Francisco smelling like he had been doing ministry. It was a really good thing. Some of you have been up there for a night and you know you take on the smell, the scent of those that you're ministering to. He smelled like he had been doing ministry to people who don't bathe a lot. He didn't get to bathe a lot. It was obvious. Now that's thrilling. I love that. And as students, young people, retired people, middle-aged people catch this wave and say, we've got to be doing something for these people. I go, I know. It's right in the Bible. What should we be doing? And so I want to spur that on. I want to encourage that. I want to fan that into flame. But I want to catch the and to James 1.27. I want us to promote these different needs that are out there, and I want to promote purity while we're doing it. I want to promote purity in how we do it. It's not just that we go and and meet a bunch of needs. It's that we do it and we remain pure before the Lord and pursue those things as well. You might be sitting here this morning saying, what exactly are you talking about? Do you mean things like keeping sober? Being innocent with my girlfriend, refusing to swear, walking out of a movie that if it's not pure? Yes, I'm talking about those kinds of things. Refusing to gossip, not cheating, but being totally truthful. And by the way, doing all this without grumbling or complaining? Yeah, I'm speaking about those kinds of things. You'll notice that on your road to godliness, there will be very few cheerleaders from the world. There will be all kinds of cheerleaders, right? But no one's cheering you on. No one's applauding that in you. There's a price to pay for following Christ. And there's great reward that's gained in following Christ. So here's the rest of the morning. I've created three lists. I've created a list that talks about, and I'm just going to read them for you. And by the way, if you're a note taker, don't feel the need to write all these down. I'm going to make these available to you. But I'm going to just read off some of the vices that the Bible talks about of things we shouldn't be doing. And I'm going to read off some of the virtues, things we should be doing, and then I'm going to give you a list at the end of just kind of help in the, in the daily battle for this. Paul was nearing the end of his career and he was writing to a younger pastor named Timothy. And he's, he, he wrote this to him. He said, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Now, I hope that God's Word isn't a guest speaker in our church ever, but in a more prominent way this morning, 
God's word is going to take center stage. What God has already revealed about these things is going to take center stage. And I am going to be here not to convince you, not to cajole you into anything, but simply to read it for you, to inform you. And for many in this room, just to remind you things that you already know. Now, the way that I could go about this is I could go through and and have looked up every single verse from the Old Testament and New Testament, but we would have been here for weeks. Instead, I've kind of found a couple of places in Scripture that have these condensed lists. They all are found in the New Testament. And they're kind of a good summary. They're like the easy reader version of some of the things God doesn't want you doing and God does want you doing. What does it mean to live a holy lifestyle? We can't plead ignorance. We can't say, well, it's just whatever you think it means. That's not true. God's revealed what that means. I'm going to give you some of the nuggets. Now, I would say it's a both and. I hope you go back and I hope you're reading the totality of Scripture. I hope you're taking the long route and I hope you have these neat little easy reader lists that are sitting on your mirror in the morning when you're brushing your teeth. And you can just see kind of compact in one place. Here's some things God does not want me involved in today. Here's some things God does want me involved in. Now, some of you think, well, I was taught that... that that Christianity is not just a bunch of do's and don'ts. Anyone ever hear that phrase? Christianity is not just a bunch of do's and don'ts, right? You may have said that phrase. I've said that phrase. But the reality is this. It's not just a list of do's and don'ts because it's a relationship. But wrapped into relationship are do's and don'ts. Let me give you an example. I'm married. As a married person in a formal public ceremony before witnesses and God himself, I made vows to do certain things and not do certain things. Is my relationship with Becky all about do's and don'ts? No, but it's no less than that. It incorporates do's and don'ts. Do you follow? So our relationship with God has do's and don'ts in it. Don't be ashamed of that. Is Christianity just about do's and don'ts? Of course not. That's just a paper list. This is a relationship we're talking about. Now, the way I could have gone about this is to look at every single command of the Bible or, instead, I went after some key passages in the New Testament that kind of grab a whole bunch of ideas and condense them down into some lists that I want you to hear today. Now, here's what I would say for you. I would say that both and are really, really critical. I hope that you commit to read through the Bible in a year. And if it takes you five years Praise God, you've read through the Bible, right? I hope also that you will go to the easy reader version and find some of these passages and say, I don't have time to memorize the whole Old Testament. God's given me in a few passages some key things that can just kind of be written on a card and kept right on a mirror, right right in the start of my day that I can see um, all the time. All right, are you ready? Here we go. These are vices, so these would be things not to do. And what I've done is I've taken these verses, I've kind of condensed them into the the actual components of it. So here we go in Mark 7. Uh, Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. From Romans chapter 1, impurity, Dishonoring their bodies, dishonorable passions, homosexual relationships, all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, gossip, slander, haters of God, 
insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. From Romans 13, orgies and drunkenness, sexual immorality, sensuality, quarreling, and jealousy. From 1 Corinthians 6, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. From Galatians chapter 5, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousies, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Colossians 3. Put to death sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. 1 Timothy 1. Those who strike their fathers and mothers for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Last one, Revelation 21. The cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. I don't know what that list does to you, but it feels heavy in here. That feels heavy to me. As I read that through out loud this week, it served as a warning to me. I'm a pastor. I think about these things and talk about things all the time. One of the things you'll catch in just a few New Testament passages that you can go back and meditate on this week, I'll have them written down, is just the overlap. Did you catch it? There's just this overlap that's there. There's these certain things that keep getting mentioned over and over and over, especially conscious of it this week. I just noticed in our culture. And one of the high places you see in the Old Testament, the kings would come in and they'd wipe out uh, all these evil practices. And some of the kings didn't take down the high places. There were still these, these strongholds. One of the high places in our culture is sexuality. Unquestionably. And in these lists, over and over and over, the, the list is led with those kinds of things. And that not even a hint of sexual immorality ought to be in the temple of the holy God. Does that make sense? Of course it does. No convincing needed. God help us. Let me turn now from... These are just 
These are just vices. These are just things you shouldn't do. Not because some pastor is uptight. Not because you were brought up in a really conservative thing. Because God's word says so. He's already spoken to these things. It's true today. It will be true ten years from now. It will be true for our grandkids. Now, let me shift gears from things that God has revealed. Don't do these things. Just saying, here is what a Christian is to put on. Here is what we are to do. Here is what we are to pursue. Take a deep breath. This is a better list. This really is. This is a list you go, yes, there's things deep in you. I don't care what you think about Jesus, what you profess to believe. There are things that deep in you will resonate. These are good things. People filled with these qualities, I want thing next to me. People filled these, with these qualities are the people I want as my boss, that I want to work with, that I want to do life with, that I want to marry, that I want to train up. First one's found in Romans 12. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another, showing honor. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Do what is honorable in the sight of all. Live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not over, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In 1 Corinthians 13, we're given a picture of love, lest we define it our own way. It says that love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. From Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Colossians 3, we're instructed to put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect Harmony. From 2 Peter 1, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. 
as long and seemingly exhausting as it was to just read through both those lists, you know what I've done? I've condensed. I've condensed by a lot. There's so many more verses we could pull together to show what God's given us not to do. And so many more verses we could put on to say, here's what to pursue. But just to put it in a package, we get to see it. Do you note the lack of details in terms of what it means to be holy? What people so often jump to is this. How many hours am I supposed to pray or read my Bible a week? Just give me that. How much money am I supposed to tithe? Give me a percentage. How many poor people do I have to help in a year to still be in good with God? Do you see the nonsense of that? Do you see any of that in there? We don't have those details. Instead, character is what's focused on. Character is what's being talked about in those things. Do you know that character is so much harder to quantify with specific metrics like hours and percentages, right? But Jesus boiled it down really simply by saying this. You'll know a tree by what? By its fruit. It's hard to quantify character, but you can see it. You can smell it. You can sense it. One of the joys of standing in front of you, congregation, week after week, it's a pleasure to to preach God's word. I enjoy doing what I get to do. One of the things that I love to do is as I'm preaching so many times, God will bring to mind your faces and specific ways that I see God's character being formed in you. I think about and see living examples of people who who are embodying these virtues because God's working in our midst. Character's being formed. Godliness is being formed in us. Our title this morning comes from two ways to respond to all of this. When you are given details about how to live a holy life, when to do it, what to do, the timeline for it, your response can be, whatever. That's apathy, right? Yeah, I've heard those verses before. Whatever. The other response can be this. Whatever. Same exact word. But, Jesus, you're my Lord. And whatever you tell me to do, whatever you instruct me, whenever you instruct me, however much you instruct me, whatever. I'm a totally committed, devoted follower of it. You're the Lord I'm the servant. Whatever you say. What's your response to what I just read? Easy to just say, oh, it's my uppity, you know, parents and family. I was brought up in a really conservative thing and they missed it all. It's this uptight preacher who keeps telling us stuff to do. I'll tell you what I did this morning. I read for you God's Word. These are words that have been revealed and preserved for us as Christians that through the centuries we've had this. And all I'm doing is presenting that to you. These kinds of things are determined by your lifestyle, by your fruit. So you can take inventory today. You can take inventory of one another. You could go to a trusted friend and say, I want to live a holy life. Do you see this? I profess all kinds of things. Do you see those things coming out? Am I living in light of my priorities, my spoken priorities, or not? Let me give you two books, if you're a reader, that that might help you kind of launch in this. One is by a guy named Jerry Bridges. 
and it's called The Pursuit of Holiness. I own three different versions of this book because I went through it as a college student, but that cover soon became almost obscene because it was a running shorts guy running on the front from the 80s, and 80s running shorts are not pretty now. And so I had to change book covers by the mid-90s or else the college students that I was taking them through, they were distracted by the book cover. But that book is remarkable. The Pursuit of Holiness, and there's a workbook, and, and um, just a great book to kind of get you started on some things. That's a book I've had for a lot of years. It's very dog-eared. In fact, it was helpful in putting today's message together. A second one's much more recent by a, a guy named Kevin DeYoung. He's a pastor back east, and he wrote a book called The Whole in Our Holiness. And if you want a couple of, to me, pretty, pretty just easy starter reads to kind of get you pointing in, in the direction of this, then those are two great titles uh, to, to, to check out. I want to leave you with this. I want to leave you with help in the, in the daily battle. I don't know if your kids are or were or will be like mine, but my kids, when I tell them to do something, oftentimes will respond with, yes, loving father, how else can we bless you? But it happens so infrequently that I am humble before God in prayer. More often, I hear this, but why? Now, there are certain seasons in parenting where the most godly thing I think that you can do is to just have them do it without giving them a why. If there's a rebellious heart there, if there is just a, a chronic need for that, there, there are times to just say, because I said so, and that might be the, the, the best answer there. What we've taught our kids is this. As a, as a parent, you really do want to equip your kids with the why. You know why? Because it's motivating. It's motivating to see the bigger picture. If your three-year-old's asking why, it's just hard to explain physics of a Mack truck and their body, and it's just it's not even worth doing it. You just say, because I said so, you know? And you just kind of make it happen. But especially as they grow older, you want to give them the reason behind, because it is motivating to understand why. What's true of us as humans is, is true somewhat of, of God parenting us. There's, there's certain things, we ought to just do it. Not needing explanation, not even seeing if it works. I mean, really it is enough that God said it, and he created the whole deal, and he loves us, and he's good, and he's sovereign, so we should just do it. But you know what? God in his goodness, he gives us a massive slew of reasons as to why to walk in holiness every day. This is not going to come easy. Most of you know there are no cheerleaders on your path to godliness. A lot of jeerleaders, right? A lot of people are going to jeer you and, and, and tease you and all kinds of stuff. But very few people are going to cheer you on this path. God knows that and gives all kinds of prescriptions. I came up with 40. I'm going to give you 15 for time's sake. Okay? Uh, look at your Bible. Find the ones that are most meaningful to you. Here's what I found as I was reading this. I thought, you know, in my best days, in my best days, just the fact that God said it should be enough. Just the fact that I love God and all that he's done for me, I, that, that, that should be enough. But in different seasons, different ones of these motivators will hit you in different ways. So here are some, uh, some helps for the daily battle. Number one is just for the love of Christ. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. The fear of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5 says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord... We persuade others. 
fullness of joy is another one. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Some of you right now, or in some season, have been really spoken to in the scriptures by mere duty. Ecclesiastes says this, the end of the matter, the, the end of the matter, all that has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. The fact that God knows all, Ecclesiastes 12, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. That ought to motivate. Some of you are pragmatists. For our good, Deuteronomy 12, be careful to obey all these words I command you, that it may go well with you and with your children after you forever. Some of you like to know that you're being effective. Second Peter 1, but if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective. Just understanding that sin is futile. Matthew 6, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to the span of your life? Some of you see God's example as a huge motivator. Ephesians 4.23, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. How about Christ's example? And walk in love as Christ loved us. The Bible is filled with good examples of other people. Hebrews 13, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. The Bible's full of bad examples. 1 Corinthians 10.6 Now these things took place as an example for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Some are motivated to win over their neighbors. 1 Peter 2 Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so when they speak against you as evildoers they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Proverbs 14 says we can actually lift up a nation with our holiness. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And lastly, to just show off God. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. I want to invite the band to come up right now. For those who have ears to hear... Let them hear what the Scriptures have said today. My invitation to you, my challenge to you, would be to go and, with renewed vigor, repent, commit yourself afresh, saying, God, I want this. Work this in me. I trust and rest in the holiness that's given in Christ, not in performance. We talk about that all the time around here. I want that message crystal clear in our church body. But oh, that we would point ourselves, that we would set our face like flint, as Christ did, to holiness in all of our conduct. Let me pray. Father, you're so patient with us. You're good to us. You're clear with us. God, I pray that you'd forgive us for whining about not knowing your will, not understanding what you're doing in our lives, when so much of it is right there in our presence, God, waiting for us to take hold of. 
God, for hearts and lives this morning that need to be challenged and spurred back onto the narrow path, God, to be pursuing You that have wandered. I pray that You would fall heavy on them, God, in in whatever motivating prescription You have for them this morning. God, for those who are running hard after You, I pray this morning has been deeply encouraging. Faith building, God. To keep at it. To be reminded of just, just a few of the reasons of why we live our lives. Why we say no to some things and why we say a resounding yes to other things. God, would the stance of our church be that we would be found pure before You. A pure bride when You return. Would the, would the, the normal growth of the body of, of this group of believers be one that longs for holiness and exposes, tears itself away, and shuns worldliness. God, help us. We need you every step of the way. In Jesus' name, amen.